I am uh, speaking on is evolution really true today. Um, hopefully you came to one of my the last week and the week before where I talked about the origin of the Bible, where it came from, what it says on scientific subjects, and I also talked about the cosmological argument, um, which is kind of confronts, uh, uses Big Bang um, cosmology and shows that it could not create the universe itself. How many know that um, it didn't come from nothing? Amen? And, you know, there's a kind of a common concept of nothing in scientific circles. It's called the quantum fluctuation where electrons appear and disappear. And, and uh, just because you can't see where they are um, does not mean that they're not there. Um, it just means that you don't know where they are or where the location of it is. Um, you can't just say things spring out of thin air. There's electrons around us, but yet if I throw a basketball, there's no electrons. You know, it's, it's going to hit your face, and it's going to go right through the electrons, um, and it's going to affect the atmosphere. And, you know, when we talk about it coming from a, a quantum fluctuation where, you know, basically life comes from nothing, how many believe that it came from something instead? Okay, and they say that there was no power and all of a sudden we had matter and energy and space and time and some singularity. How many think, you know, that something came from something powerful? That's where it came from. So it's either nothing or something, no power, all power. How many think it was material, like matter made itself? Because we see that happen all the time, don't we? And, you know... And I was talking, you know, in my first service, I had a couple engineers and a couple scientists come. I was very thankful for that. And one who worked on the Hubble telescope came and talked to me afterwards. And I go, so I go, how'd it go? And he said, I learned a lot. <laughs> and I said, and I said, can you refute anything I said? And I said, and he goes, no, I can't actually. And, you know, he's working on this another deep telescope. And I talked to him about gravitational time dilation, which I'll talk about today. Um, I just want to, I want to, I want to warn you on two things. One, there are some things that I'm going to share that you're going to go, got it. That's awesome. And there are some things that you're going to share. I'm going to share that you're going to go, oh, Eric, I'm kind of drifting off. I don't know if I'm getting this. I just want to ask you to keep engaged. And remember, the message isn't only just for you. Okay. Do I hear amen? amen. There are other people that, that are hearing the message and this is a very important subject in our community, and I think it sets up my next one, which is going to be talking about sexuality and why it's so important to understand God's perspective on it. It's because if you believe you're just evolved, then all you're going to do is look to your chemistry to define who you are, when instead of looking to the God who created you. So each message that I'm having, I'm building on the next one so that as I'm going deeper into the message, um, you'll get a better understanding of who God is and what he's like. Um, so Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just empower where I'm going today, um, which I believe you've led me to, um, confronting the stronghold, the principality, the arche, Lord, in our universe today that says that we came Lord, from natural processes, that we, there's no God, just natural processes made the universe itself. Lord, I know it sounds ridiculous in my prayer to say this to you, but Lord, I pray that you would squash evolution and macro evolution and its principles, Lord, not on religious theological passion, but on scientific grounds, on practical, pragmatic grounds. And I pray that you'd empower the message and give people ears to hear. And Lord, I know there's a lot of young kids who grow up with this in school thinking this is what all the scientific people think. And it's not true. Lord, I, I know the ratios. And I know how many Christian scientists, physicists, astronomers, not only through history, but the origins of chemistry, Lord, and all those incredible things are founded by people who know you. But we respect both minds. Minds that know you and minds that don't. We, rec we, we recognize and respect the facts of science. So I just pray that you'd empower, Lord, the message, your word, to bring about truth and life. In Jesus' name, if you agree, can you say amen? Amen. 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 So my tough, uh, tough topics today, uh, you can see the one, two, three, four. I'm going to talk about design in nature. I'm going to talk about biology uh, chemistry, and then geology. And 
Um, I'm going to be quoting from uh, Lansky and others um, who have uh, done a lot of the uh, Darwinian evolutional studies, um, population genetics, and uh, the mathematical expression of Darwinism. And um, <laughs> like I asked the atheist, I said, who made all this? The atheist said, nobody, it just happened, evolution did it. And that's how it is. All you have to do is wave the magic wand of evolution. Where'd it come from? Evolution did it. And everybody watching their TV listens to Morgan Freeman's voice and says, yes, that's what happened. <laughs> Seriously. It is, it is theorized to say that many years ago, millions of years ago, this happened. And I understand that because I grew up with it. I'm very passionate about it. And I'm passionate about it because this was, this was our library at home. My father had The Ascent of Man and The Cosmos from Carl Sagan. And I grew up reading it. I, I, I was a, a, a voracious or verisophist, whatever, voracious, passionate reader. And I, I'd, I'd read like crazy on these things. And I'd, I, I would be the guy at the party who would tell you why we evolved from things. And not only did I, could I defend it, but um, I, I believed it in, in philosophy too. In other words, one of the things that led me to be a drug dealer and a partier was we're just a bunch of chemistry. That's all we are. And if this chemistry that I'm going to ingest is going to make me feel a little better, who cares? Just a little chemistry tweak in my chemistry, and that's the order of the day. If you're feeling a little depressed, let me give you some chemistry that won't make you feel depressed. It'll change it. What you really need is the Spirit of God touching your, your bare soul. I'm going to say amen. That's what you need. That's where the deliverance from. You know, who am I sexually? Who am I, you know, personality? What's my identity? Well, let's turn to my desire. Let's turn to my body. Let's turn to my functioning brain. Let's turn to my chemistry to figure out what I am. What do I want? What do I desire? Rather than turning to the Spirit of God, who will go the opposite of what you desire to define who you really are. There are so many things we can desire that don't necessarily define us, but they are just the flesh. But we have the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right. Atheism says there is no God. That's where I was. They have, some people say little a, big A. Little a is, I think there's no God, period. I'm sorry, big A is there's no God, period. I don't believe there's God. Theism, ah, opposite of, or no theism. Atheism, atheism. There is no God. And some say, well, I don't know if there's no God at all, but I don't think the Christian God is true or the, the Muslim God is true. Then there's agnostic, the word gnostic, from knowing, not knowing. Some say, I don't know if there's a God. Some say, I can't know if there's a God. And the Bible, of course, says the fool says in his heart that there is no God. That's God's perspective. And there's a big thing about religion. You know, we don't want religious teaching in our schools. We have religious teaching in our schools. What do you think atheism is? Atheism gives you origins with no facts. You know what I mean? Big Bang cosmology, you know, proposes all kinds of theories of how matter, you know, energy converted into matter and antimatter with all kinds of obstacles to it, with no source. And then it gives you a naturalistic answer that we need to worship the nature itself. And that's its religion. And it's in the world. And I don't mind looking at origins and trying to figure out how things started, whether you believed in God or not, I'm not against it. But I'm against teaching it as religious science when it's only theoretical. It's theories, philosophizing, the peer review, if you look at the paperwork, is so thorough. And it doesn't matter how many graphs and bars and how many years of university students you make do homework on the same Big Bang cosmology doesn't make it any truer. There's a lot of ways to interpret the cosmic rays that Penrose discovered it's cosmic radiation that's throughout the universe and the expansion of the universe. And I'm going to give you one today called gravitational time dilation. That gives you one explanation, but there are dozens of possibilities of how it could have happened besides that. There are people who have chosen supergravity or string theory, trying to break different ways of thinking about the universe. The naturalists are saying that God didn't make it, but the universe made itself I gave a logical proof against that two weeks ago called the cosmological argument. 
And it roots, it's rooted in nothing can cause itself to exist. The universe had a beginning. And if it had a beginning, then it must have had a cause. And if it had a cause, then something caused it to begin. And we call that cause, can we hear the word God? God believes himself that he exists. It says they, that's the non-believer. And this includes us. It's not like I'm saying you guys. I'm, I was part of this. They suppress the truth by their unrighteousness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that's, these are things that are unseen but seen, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen because they are understood through what has been made so that people are without what? Without excuse. God seems to think that he exists. And he seems to think that if you look at the nature of creation and at the way that the cell functions and it's, you know, nanotechnology, small molecular machines that work within our system have logical um, mechanical functions that we can't even replicate. I gave the example of the eye. My eye right now is taking video footage of you guys. Way more than the black magic voodoo camera or the red camera is used on Lord of the Rings. It's more sophisticated, and it takes faster video, and it stores it in my brain capacity, which I can remember things from as a kid, and I can remember, and I've seen all kinds of things throughout this whole life. The storage and capability that I have, the flashing that I have just of my eyes is tremendous. The amount of neurons and, ner and strings attached are in the hundreds of millions of pieces. Uh, you know, there is New Newton in his... Um, Principia, for the intelligence of the eye, talked about how all the components that have to be there to be in place for the eye just to be able to see. The Bible says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. In other words, if you're not going to serve the creator, the one who created everything, you're going to have to look at all creation and you're going to worship it. It created itself. Let's worship it. Like, you know, I say, oh, thank God. You know? Like, you know? When you're on an airplane going down, you go, God, help me. You know, right? When you're cursing, what, what name do you always curse? I, I used to curse the name of Jesus Christ before I even knew what, who he was. You know, I just say, oh, Jesus Christ. I go, what are you talking about? I go, I, go, I remember I turned to my friend. I go, why do we always curse that name? And he goes, I don't know. That's weird. Everywhere in the world. Like, I never curse... The electron and the proton. You know, you know, you know, our creators. Thank God for the singularity. I mean, thank you, singularity, for making us. That's the big bang. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you've had an understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. And who stretched the line upon it? And what were its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone? It says, he stretches out the heavens and hangs the earth on nothing. I wonder how Job knew that he was traveling thousands of miles per second in space. Yet, we don't feel that motion at all. And yet, he, primitive man, how did that primitive man, 3,700 years ago, how did he know that the earth was hanging anywhere? You go to the literature of the 1300s and the 1400s of these kings and scientists and philosophers, they were thinking of a flat earth and this was the cornerstone that everything, the sun was revolving around us. They had all kinds of things, principles. Here the, the Bible, they thought the universe was steady and it wasn't moving at all. Everything was just steady there and God says he stretched out the heavens and we know by the Hubble telescope, I, I mentioned it a few weeks ago, that as we look through it, we see that the galaxies are moving away. And you know what they're moving away from? Us. And there are some scientists that say, well, they must be moving, everyone's probably moving away from everybody, but the only observation we have, scientific observation, is that these galaxies are moving away from us. I mentioned that they are not if they're twice as far away from us, they move twice as fast. If they're half that distance away, then they move half as fast. In other words, everything, if you went back in time, would all be condensed in one giant ball. And then scientists say, eventually, we'd have to come from something smaller, so we'll call it a single point. 
a singularity where all mass, energy, space, and time were. And that energy converted to matter and, and became matter and antimatter in equal points. And I mentioned last week or two weeks ago that there is called the Baryon asymmetry problem, which is if that were true, then we'd have equal matter and antimatter in the universe. And I talked to my engineer on the Hubble telescope this morning, and I said, what do you think about the Baryon asymmetry problem with the dark matter? And he goes, well, he goes, we're building another telescope to try to find that dark matter. He just told me this like 20 minutes ago. And I go, I said, so why are they looking for the dark energy, the dark matter? And he goes, because the universe is supposed to have more. So let's build a telescope because maybe it's out further. Right? Maybe it's on the edge of the universe, 50% of the matter. Because if it was equal parts matter and antimatter, it'd be all over. And, and people think that matter and antimatter come and just make nothing. So from nothing, you could just make matter and antimatter. The problem is when you put antimatter and with the little we have of matter together, it's just a violent destruction. It's just they violently destroy each other. It's not this nothing element like you imagine it to be. Nothing is not nothing. It has qualities and properties and it could be measured. That's nothing. Nothing is nothing. And nothing from nothing gets nothing. And if you want to be something... (laughs) If you want to be with me... Through him all things were made. Without him... Nothing was made that has been made. I love how God says that. The finite universe. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one, calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. I just want to hear a few things that God says here before we talk, get into the science of it. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. See, how, how profound is that? This is, this is when the Greek philosophers were debating this and the, the early Hindus were talking about this at this time frame. They, they were talking about elephants and hippos on the backs of hippos, you know, that these creatures were made, you know, creation was made. Even in the modern religions today, you know, of the last couple hundred years of, in, in Mormonism and a few others, it's all within our universe, This is talking about invisible qualities. God made what was from invisible, transcendent. He made the visible. When God made time, he was not in time. He didn't say, tomorrow I'm going to make it. He wasn't in the time zone. He was outside of time. God lives outside the time continuum. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. How many are glad that God made you? Come on. It's not just the physical. You have genetic traits from your family and a microevolution. You know, you come from your parents and you have characteristics from them, whether you know them or not. But the fashioning of your soul, what determines who you are, isn't just your functioning brain. There's something deeper in you. How many recognize that? Four of you. Good. <laughs> Listen, when people talk about evolution, they say all kinds of things. My company has really evolved this last year. Really? There was like some kind of mitosis and cell division within your cash register? I mean, didn't you, an intelligent being, meet with the other intelligent beings and take your intelligence and put it together and start thinking through process and creating and designing new ways to run your company? And then based on marketplace, you know, tactics and interacting of other intelligent beings, didn't your company either get stronger or better based on choices and decisions people made? Or did it naturally just evolve in this randomness? No, it didn't evolve. That's not what we're talking about, evolution. And this is how, how people use it. This is the, the t- basic textbook. And the first six are not observable at all. The first one, cosmic evolution, I just gave it, uh, some definitions of it where singularity all of a sudden creates matter, convert, or energy converts to matter and antimatter. And then you basically get hydrogen and some elements of helium. And then you get an ex- expansion of that. Why do you have an expansion of that? Well, because it, somehow it has to get bigger. So we say it ex- inflated. That's Alan Guth. That, you know, we just go, oh, we need to find a way to make it bigger. So it inflated. It's like this bandage, hodgepodge, you know, um, scientific theory. Cosmic evolution, where time, space, and matter by the Big Bang. Boom. That's what created it. Praise you, boom. 
Crazy, boom, way to go. Way to expand. Because we always know that when things explode and expand, it's always really ordered. You get neutrons and hydrogen and helium that all have functioning properties and you get all the chemicals that just happen to coincide and the things and water that we can get that we can drink. It just kind of coincides. It's just really just perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Bang. I appreciate you. And then we have chemical evolution. By the way, the guy who wrote the organic chemistry book, the founder of this, is now a Christian. In all the textbooks. You know, he, he, he wrote the book Genetic Entropy, for those interested. He'll, he gives us recant... If, if you grew up in the 70s or 80s and you think that we came from chemistry soup, the guy who wrote the standard textbook is a Christian. And genetic entropy talks about how it could not have happened the way he describes it and he refutes his own book. Okay? And then there's stellar and planet evolution. Once, you know, chemistry happens and you have planetary evolution where all of a sudden planets form. You know, they just, you know, God says he's created everything at once. Boom. And we see everything coming back, but somehow these planets are forming and then another one's forming and we, get, we have this big long story in fairy tale that they tell about origin of stars and planets. When God's description is he's making them pretty much at the same time. Again, I'll demonstrate that later. Organic evolution is the origin of life. That means we start to have, imagine the sun, we have an energy source, we have our planet, we have some water, and what happens when you take the water and you take the sun and you take the earth? Life appears, right? I see it all the time. I put my glass of water out there. Oh, well, that's right, there's already things existing that maybe get in the water, do you think spontaneous generation? Whatever uses the energy, what, what thing uses energy to make life from it? I'll tell you something that uses the sun now. How many have heard of photosynthesis? It needs a plant. Plants take the energy of the sun, a full plant with its full cell and genetic makeup, everything that's in that plant. That plant takes it and through photosynthesis produces oxygen. It's, it's a symbiotic relationship. The, the sun and the plant and the oxygen have to exist at the same time for us to have life. If we take away all plants and we take away all animals and we take out all insects and we take out all anything and all we do is have the sun or a light source and the earth and water, we got nothing. There is no demonstration of any life-producing chemistry. There's no scientific model. There's no one in Harvard. There's no one anywhere. I have listened to hundreds and hundreds of debates. And there's never anyone. I just listened to the one with Dr. Prothero, where they, he's asking him the same question. And he goes, well, we don't have that, but we've made a lot of progress. That's not an answer. We've made a lot of progress. Well, maybe what happened is this molecule started replicating first. Well, show us a self-replicating molecule then. Well, we don't have one, but we can imagine one. Let's put the $100,000 of research in there. Why don't you just put it down and study science? I, I, I honestly think, and this I'm on a pet peeve. I'm not even on my subject. <laughs> I believe that evolution has caused so much destruction to the medical industry. Because every time we're trying to solve cancer and its problems and the things that happen, the evolutionary scientists are looking for ways that things are evolving up rather than understanding that God made things functioning and they're evolving down. So they're constantly looking for things to chemistry work their way up rather than using the computers we are using now and starting to make progress because we study the mechanical functions of how things work with logic. That there's a logical order to the function of the cell and how it works. And that it's, it's not working like it should work. Because it used to be something ancestrally better. In other words, Adam was in better shape than me. <laughs> and you. Yeah, but I work out every day. Okay, maybe not Gary McDonald. He's probably the one example. Gary, here's the other example. Wherever you are, brother. <laughs> 
And then listen, we got macroevolution. This is the changing of one kind of species to another. In other words, if you change the dog, if the dog has another dog who 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 has another dog, eventually it'll become something else. And then we'll go, hey, I wonder where that used to be a dog. And, they, and, they, and what they're doing is they're trying to find in the fossil record, they go, there's these different layers. You know, man, this is a long time ago, and then not so long ago, and it just keeps going all the way until this is our modern age. It's kind of like, it's called the geological column. And this creature down here became this, became this, became this, became this, became this, became this, and eventually became a dog. You know what's so funny is we have stuff down here that's still alive today. That's live right now. I'm going to show you a bunch of living fossils that are in these fossil record stories that they show that are living right now. I'll give you one right off the top. You all know it. It's the catfish, right? These are coming from the Devonian Carboniferous period, okay? And then, listen, we have microevolution. That's variation within the kinds, how many know if we put two dogs together, a big dog and a little dog, and they mate, that we can come up with something different looking? What's it called? When they, what, are they, what, is that, what do those two dogs make? A dog. a dog. Yeah, that's what it's called. There's a concept that they say called punctuated equilibrium. They go, well, we can't prove it genetically because they used to go, maybe this bone turned into that. We see this bone and we see that bone. Maybe this bone was the same elbow bone, but that elbow bone was bigger. And eventually this elbow of this bigger thing grew and this finally became an elephant. And it's like they, they have all kinds of stories. It, it's incredible. They think the Bible's a funny story. You should read some of these stories. Some of them, are, to me, are absolutely hilarious. Like the foundation of cows. The cows and whales, did you know that they're related to each other? According to evolutionists. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not kidding. That, that is the link. That, that is the best evolutionary transitional forms that they think they have. And they're basing it on the way that the tail and the fin had some similar th characteristics. Seriously? What if they found me and Ira dead next to each other, one higher than the other? I'd be the lower character. Look how Neanderthal, look at how big his brow is. You know why my brow's so big? Because my brain's so big. And, if I, and I'll quote Jody. She goes, if only you'd use it. Listen, the first five different types of evolution are only theories. They're theories. They're propagations of maybe this happened, maybe that happened. And it doesn't matter how many bars and graphs you have. You have to show it. You have to demonstrate it. And you can't just show these bones because now we know what's in the cell. Each one of the cells of those creatures. And so if this cell became that kind of cell in the other creature, then you have to demonstrate that the information in this cell somehow coded itself to become the kind of cell of this other kind of creature. Because it's not just the information within those cells. It's the body types of the cells. What types of body type? There are hard shell creatures. There's vertebrates, skeletal structures. There's soft tissue, bone structures. All of those, what they call phyla, different body types, you know where they are? They're all found in the Cambrian um, fossil, which is the lowest fossil find, right, right above the Precambrian. Okay, that's for some of you. Not all of you caught that. Lyell said, if you're trying to explain the past, you shouldn't invent exotic causes of the sort we've never seen in operation, but rather you should invoke causes that are known to produce the effect in question. Have any of you ever seen a worldwide destructive global flood? Okay, well then we can't use it in science. That's basically the theory. You can't use it. Have any of you seen a giant meteor hit the earth? I actually saw a meteor enter into the Draper a couple years ago. I was sitting on my deck and a little meteor shower came in and entered in and it lit up the whole sky. So I can use that as science. But if you haven't observed it, listen, do you, if God's word is correct, that means that there was a destruction on the earth at some point. 
that was so massive that imagine the volcano, like some of the large volcanoes that are north of Europe. They say if one of those volcanoes explodes, it would basically cover all of Europe in a dark cloud and bring it to a standstill for 100 years. They'd all have to evacuate, if not die through it. Just the fumes and what it would do. Imagine if the whole world was exploding from the bottom up. Lava, you may not know, is like over 90% water. That's what it is. And imagine water exploding from the depths of the earth and at the same time rain coming down and then imagine water covering the whole earth and the tectonic plates below shifting and as the water's rising, it's causing mountain ranges to rise up. It's causing valleys to go down and then big bowls of land where water is, where water would be all the top. In fact, what would happen to the water being on top, we'd find things like on top of Mount Everest, like some of the fossils we find on Mount Everest. How many know we find fossils up on these mountains? There are fossils. People come down and they go, I found seashells. Where? On the top of the mountain. What were they doing up there? Well, Carl Sagan brought them up there. (laughs) What we need to do is the method of multiple competing hypothesis. This means that when you're trying to find the best explanation for something, you look at the couple that you, you look at this explanation and that explanation, and then you try to find the best answer. You don't try to find the best atheist answer. Do I hear amen? You don't just say, well, you know, maybe it has to be a transcendent thing, but there's no such thing as transcendent, so it must have come from some other universe that's not our universe. That's, we call that baloney. (laughs) Amen? Thus says the Lord, our God who created the heavens, he is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. This is God talking about this. Now, let's get to some arguments here. How many want to hear some arguments? Come on. Okay, let's start with the expansion, the fine-tuning argument. This means that the universe operates to a specific numerical values. There's numbers all throughout our universe. I put a couple of them down. The gravitational force, the nuclear weak force, the nuclear strong force, the, you know, the electromagnetic force, the, the speed of light. The speed of light isn't just flashlights and stars. The speed of light functions within the cell. If the speed of light is off, it throws off everything. Uh, uh, Dr. Lee Smolin, a physicist, said, imagine the universe with a bunch of dials, and and you could tweak the dials, and you could change the expansion rate of the universe. That's what Stephen Hawking uses as an example. He said if you use it, and I can't remember the number, I think it's one thousandth of one millionth of one millionth. If you change that dial just that much, you have no universe. You have no, we won't exist. That is how fine-tuned it is. The sun is exactly the difference. And it's not just the sun and our little planets. Every planet needs to be where it is to affect the gravitational pull to all the other planets for us to exist the way that we do. I love it when they're looking for these new planets that, are, that have people on it. I think you should discover one planet that has all the people on it. Have you heard of Earth? It's got us on it. Everyone wave. Just, just look at somebody and go, I found life. I found life. Listen to Francis Crick. He's the winner of the Nobel Prize in biology. Okay, he discovered, he's disco- he discovered and elucidated the, the double helix of, of the DNA structure. Um, and then um, some of you know Francis Collins, who was a Christian, who, uh, who founded basically the, um, the Genome Project. He said, an honest man armed with all the knowledge available to us could only state that in some sense the origin of life appears at the moment to be almost a miracle. So many are the conditions which would have to be satisfied to get it going. Some of you know of the theory of stellar nucleosynthesis. The Sir Fred Hoyle, the UK, famous UK astronomer, he says a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well with chemistry and biology. The likelihood of the formation of life from inanimate matter is one to a number of 10 with 40,000 zeros after it. It is enough to bury Darwin in the whole theory of evolution. There was no primeval soup, neither on this planet nor any other, and if the beginnings of life were not random, they must therefore have been the product of a purposeful intelligence. This is one, I, I, if you guys know Bohr, founder of chemistry, Kepler, Newton, 
gosh, so many. Even Einstein was a believer in God, although was, I have some great quotes from him too about Jesus Christ. He admired Jesus Christ, Einstein did. We don't know everything about his life. Stephen Meyer from the Theory of Intelligent Design, he said, there are certain features of the universe and of living things that are best explained by an intelligent cause, not an undirected process like natural selection. This is ultimately the best explanation for the origin of the Cambrian animals. He's talking about that lower fossil find. The lowest fossils that we found, you know where they're found? They're, they're found in the, what's called the Mao Shisheng Formation in southern China. You know what's tremendous about it? I, I listened to the founders who found it, found the, the Cambrian animals, and I listened to their interviews. Do you know that they're all members of the Christian house church in China? And, and I was listening to this great debate with Stephen Hawking at, I think, Brown's University. And he's destroying this guy on intelligent design. And the guy goes, well, Stephen, he says, in the, Mausch, he goes, in the Cambrian, you know, we, we see the development of stuff. And he says, no, we don't. He says, in the bottom of the Cambrian, the first layers, I mean, if evolution were true, then we'd have single cell or half cell proteins at the bottom. And then it would work its way up to cells. And as you went up the fossil record, the geological common, it would get more sophisticated. And then basically we get single bones that we're just finding and we're telling stories. The problem is all the separate types, which we, they call phyla, are all found in the Cambrian. All the different types are found in the Cambrian. Full, soft, sponge embryos. That means it wasn't that long ago. If soft, sponge embryos are still intact in the Cambrian, if you find T-Rex blood cells up there, that means that Earth may be young, not old. Just think about it. The, the, the testimony of the Burgess Shale, and we have also the other Cambrian here in Utah that you can go see yourself. All right, how many find this interesting so far? Okay, let me talk about starlight and time. If the universe is young, why are the stars and galaxies so far away? Now, you're going to have to listen up, and I'm going to try to be as clear as I can. Say it with me. Say gravitational, time dilation. Okay, this means that the Earth... And in the expanding universe are running at different clock speeds. Okay? You're thinking, how does that work? Now, Starlight and Time is one book that you can find to get one sense of that theory. If you write that down and get that, you'll get a little bit more detail. Here is the theory. This is Einstein's theory in general relativity. I put the math right there. The, I, the theory of gravitational time dilation says this. Time slows down near massive objects. So if you have this much mass and you're close to it, if you're this close to it, time is at this speed. But if you, the closer you are to the mass and the bigger the mass is, time slows down. The lower you are and closer to it, the lower the slower. How do we know that's true? Because first, let me explain the opposite first. The farther you away, the, the faster time moves, okay? The farther you away from the, the pull of the gravity. So time and gravity, Einstein showed, are connected. So we have two time clocks, one in Denver, one in Europe. The Denver one is higher. It is five microseconds faster than the other one. Than the other one. That's because Peyton Manning. Um, <laughs> It's faster by five microseconds, two atomic clocks. We're, we're, we're getting the clock by the atom. But one is here, and one's there, and one's closer. So this proves Einstein's theory. So imagine the beginning of the universe, that God is speaking everything to existence. Imagine that this is it. This is all the mass right here. And God is now flinging it out in time. So it's little by little, I'm a star, and I'm moving out. I'm a galaxy star. I'm spinning this way, Okay. Now, we do have a problem with that, Big Bang Theory, because we have a few stars that are spinning the other way. Okay? It's a big problem for Big Bang cosmology. But let's just go with it. So the mass is right there, and let's imagine that the Earth is somewhere here in the center of it. God, it's in the center, so imagine it in the center here. It's flung. The universe is flung out like this. What, where is time moving slower? In the center of the mass or on the outskirts of the mass? In the center. 
So at the center, with all that mass of the universe, as God said, let there be light, and boom, he forms the planets. This is just one theory. He's moving the planets out. In the center, it's moving slow. And gravitational time dilation says, if the mass has a certain intensity relative to the thrust, they have what they call the event horizon, that time can actually potentially actually stop. Okay? Now, there's other factors that say it probably can't, but it's just saying that time can move super slow at the center. But as you are flung out, it starts to move faster. What Dr. Russell Humphrey, Dr. Safadi, and several others, Jason Lyle, other, is a astronomer, physicist, let's come up with some theories that use gravitational time dilation. This theory has stood strong for almost 15 years now. You can reread, uh, you go to Talk Origins, you can go to Institute of Creation Research.org, any one of those, and read up on it. Dr. Russell Humphrey drew one that with those 12.5 billion light years of stars. So all the stars have a real history, but everything in the center as it's moving out have a slower time. So as it's expanding, time's starting to go faster out here, and pretty soon. You have two time clocks, so let me give you a demonstration of that, okay? In the center, you have it slowing because it's bending time, and time's moving slower with more gravity, and then out, less gravity. This is not scientific theory. This is not like the theory of evolution. This is scientific fact. This is how gravitational time dilation works. How many got a little bit? Because I want to move on. Tell me if you got something out of this. Come on. Honestly, if you don't, raise your hand. If you didn't get anything, raise your hand, just so I know. Okay. All right. That's a little bit about design. Let me go to biology. Okay? Biology is the study of complicated things that appear to be designed for a purpose. That's Richard Dawkins, who's the worst philosopher that the earth has ever seen. <laughs> biology is the study, here's Eric Van Rees' quote, is the study of complicated things that God actually created and designed for a purpose. Okay, I want you to look at these two pictures, okay? One is the cell. When we first discovered the cell, it was like a blob of jello. That's what it was. Look at this, the blob of jello. And it's just, it's the building blocks of what we are. I wonder what this blob does. A blob just blobs into some more blobs, right? That's all they knew. If you went to school in the 60s, went to high school in the 60s, that's what you heard. And if you went to school in the 70s, you started to see that it was called protoplasm and cytoplasm, the gel. Well, then we got into our modern electron microscope, and then pretty soon we got deeper and richer into what we can see. Now we can see, if you look on the right, that the, that the cell is a galaxy. It's, it's got little nanomachines that, are, that have function with numeric code and information of how it runs. There's no evolutionary picture to describe how the cell is. I just listened to a debate not too long ago with Michael Behe, and I can't remember his name now, but he's one of the top English um, um, chemists. And he goes, well, I admit that we can't talk about the evolution of the cell, but once we have the cell, we can do some stuff. And we're going, well, you got to start with the cell. And even if you have the cell, he's got nothing. But, but the cell, do you understand that the cell is like a galaxy? I'll give you just some incredible statistics. Look at, look at this, the chemistry pathways of the cell. The, and this is just a topography. This is a top. You can go to any one of those and drill down. I'll give you some example. The human being has a hundred trillion cells. Okay? Or more. Each of those cells has, everyone say 46. 46. 23 pairs of chromosomes. Each chromosome has Thousands of DNA molecules connected to it. Thousands. Every DNA molecule has billions of lines of code. Have you ever seen software? Lines of code, people writing in our generation, we should see that. World of Warcraft have 5.5 million lines of code. Okay, I was one of the creative directors on that project. 5.5 million lines of code. Software. Do you think if you just took a, a win of that game and just took a section of that software out, random mutation, and then just chuck it somewhere else that it'd get more functional? <laughs> of course not. It's going to get dysfunctional. You don't hire wind and erosion to write more software code. You hire intelligence. 
Amen? You don't hire random processes. Let's just take the code and mix it up, see what happens, and figure out one of them will work, and that'll be our natural selection. That'll make us get better. No, you're going to hire intelligence. All right. DNA, those millions of lines of code, they are a string of, this is very important. This is kind of hard to follow, but it's not that hard. DNA is a string. It's a big, long, you see that double helix. It just, it, it overlaps itself. So it's going like, you know, connecting like this all the way through. It goes on for a long, long time. Tons and tons of code and information with routines and calls and functions. And it's operating within the cell. That's just within one cell. That's all we're talking about. One cell. And, and we're talking about one chromosome of one cell, which makes character traits. This DNA has a string of these repeating units. It goes all the way through. You can see it. Every section of that, a little section of it, is what they call a gene. Say gene. Okay, not like blue genes, different kind of gene. That gene, if you pull that out, it generates a protein, which function, goes into your cell, it gets formed and works in your cells, and then your cells, if it works in your body, it makes your body function. The cells, these genes, these proteins determine who you are and what you are based on this genetic material. This genetic material makes a copy of itself called messenger RNA, takes a copy of this code, which is a language. Then it takes in, messes with the information, and turns it into a protein which functions in the life of your cell. Now, that order of those are called, can everyone say, a language? Okay. It's called a language. They're made of four chemical letters. Now, if you just had a little bit of randomly throwing these chemical letters together, then you might get some random word here and there. But these are like sonatas, like encyclopedias of information, logical information. Here is what is amazing about this. The purple part that these nucleotide... Um, amino acids are connected to, they are connected to that purple part, which is that helix that goes around. They are connected to it like magnets are connected to a refrigerator. Except that there's nothing between these two chemical letters that are connecting them to put them in order. So in other words, I have to go to the refrigerator with all the magnets on the refrigerator, and they're connected to it. And that purple thing is like the refrigerator, the sugar phosphate backdrop. And I can put the letters on there, but to put them in order, I have to move them in order. There's no chemistry that puts them in order. Okay? Everyone say, no chemistry. Evolutionist, are you hearing me? There's no chemistry that puts it together. There's no order. Where does the order come from? Seriously, where does the order of the information come from? And there is no explanation of the origin. All we know is that I have billions and billions and billions and billions of lines of code in me. That's functioning, sometimes not functioning. <laughs> so you could see this and how it works. Okay, there's a refrigerator. So if you just had repeating information, in other words, if the two letters were mechanically, connect, magnetically drawn to each other to make sentences, there, since you only have four letters, you just make a, they just repeat themselves. You just have a repeat. The problem is, is they're saying, you know, just like seeing a cloud uh, up in the air, and all of a sudden it says, eat at Joe's Pizzeria. How many know that's intelligence, right? That's not just random information, okay? So digital information, we know where the information, those chemical letters are stored. It's stored on the DNA molecule. We know what it does. Every section makes the proteins that make you live. We don't, what we don't know is where it came from. Those amino acids to be in order. What they did, Douglas Axe from Cambridge University on his doctoral dissertation there, he, he took all the amino acids together from that nucleotide base to try to make a small protein to say, hey, maybe life came from this protein. So he took that and he's looked, he compared functional orders versus taking the same amino acids and changing the order non-functional. They didn't make anything. And even if they would make a protein, it wouldn't be replicating and no mitosis. It wouldn't be making another one. It would just be a protein that would be a protein and die. He compared it 
For every functional one that he found, he found 10 to the 70th power non-functional. That's if, that's if you had all these amino acids at all, these nucleotide bases, and put, try to put them together. To give you an idea how big 10 to the 70th power is, 10 to the 80th power is how many particles there are in the entire universe. 10 to the 39th power is how many actions and reactions have happened in the universe all the way up till 2012. Here is a couple other things related to chemistry. We have a concept called irreducible complexity. That means a, 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 some chemistry can only be, it has to have a certain amount of parts to function. Okay? The smallest self-replicating organism that we know of is called the mycoplasma genitalium. It's a parasite that can replicate, and it has like 40, 180 gene pairs. So it's a sophisticated thing, and it can self-replicate. This, all throughout our body, from our eye, the way that we see, to our functions, this right here is what they call bacteria flagellum. It's got a rotor that spins around. It can, if you take one part out, it doesn't function at all. Okay? You can read the debates on this. But that means that they didn't just evolve step by step. All the parts had to work together, let alone human beings. There's some of you have seen the, the concept of laminin. This is the protein that holds all cells and cell adhesion together of the living tissues of the body. It looks just like a cross. It's made out of three components. The alpha, the beta, the gamma, the three. They're intertwined through a helix. They're independent, yet one substance. Isn't that interesting? Um, and then... I said the fossil record now needs to be explained genetically, and that's where I'm going to go. And listen to this. They, this is the non-believer, deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And I wrote here, if there was a worldwide flood, what would we expect to find? How many know that things aren't fossilizing right now? We've had millions of buffalo die, you know, out on the plains. How many fossils do we have? Zero. Why do we have these fossils now that it seems like they've been buried, like rushed into caves and then crushed by dirt or fish buried like something was erupting from the ground and buried in fish? We have billions of these fossils from original creation, but we have no fossilizing now. It doesn't happen now at all. Why is that? And I love what Ken Ham says. He says, if there was a world flood, what would you expect to find? He said, you'd expect to find billions of dead things buried in rock layers all over the world. And what do we see? We see billions of dead things buried in rock layers all over the earth. I'm going to give you quick. You'll find these very compelling. I'm going to give you seven evidences for the creation flood. Okay? And there it is. There's the first one. This is, what, this is what you get at Toys R Us. This is what people picture. They, you know, it's like, they, they picture, you know, if, if Noah was going to take animals supernaturally or take things that were living on, a, on an ark, don't you think he could take babies and eggs and things like that? He, he doesn't have to take everything large, but that's not really the, the size. There, you could see this one compared, there's a brontosaurus within the dimensions of the ark to give you just a little bit of a picture. Listen, let's go to these um, evidences, okay? Um, the first one there um, is that, oops, sorry, is, is uh, the creation that we see. You know, it says the springs of the great deep bust forth. That's the springs of water, the lava, the eruption, the floodgates of the heavens were opened. How many remember, you know, Mount St. Helens when interrupted and the destruction it brought? How many know that Yellowstone has the potential of erupting at some point? And how much destruction just that. I mean, it's basically a giant volcano. I mean, and it's water and lava. The water's flooded 150 days. Imagine the whole earth just covered in it. You know, so you'd see a fountains coming up from the deep. You'd see extreme rain. You'd see muds, subterranean um, condensing. So look, look at this picture. If you look at this, this Grand Canyon, this either happened with just a little bit of water over a long period of time. That's the evolution story. Once you go there, then every scientific fact you're going to build on is going to be able to build on that. There's a little river, and it's just working its way through. It's got all kinds of gravity problems. How did it go up the Kayab, up warp, etc.? 
those of you familiar with it. And, but all of a sudden, you say it's a little bit of water or a lot of water in a shorter amount of time. Okay? And you can see, look at that dam right there. What do you think that happens if just that little dam right there breaks? It's going to bring all kinds of destruction. And now imagine the, the ocean, the deeps of the water barreling up. That's exactly what you have. Look at this. Imagine this as a, a thing filled with the power of water. And as the water's going down, you see these sandstones. One is the Coconilla sandstone where it's all through the bowl. You can find the Coconilla sandstone all around the earth. What kind of event would take one kind of sandstone and put it in all around the earth at the same level? That's water. That's water. You can see that right there. This is how they see the fossil record on the left. And if you just lean it to the right, you could see that things buried ecologically. That what is the very first things that would die if the bottom of the ocean would all of a sudden start exploding with volcano? What do you think the first thing that would die? How many think it would be might be fish? Right? Shellfish. What do you think... 95% of all fossils are marine invertebrate shellfish. 95% of all fossils. That's amazing. And then as, as the creatures were smarter, they're bigger and slower, they started dying off because they couldn't escape the water. And as you go up, you start to get mammals, you start to get little prairie dogs, and finally you got man who's running all the way to the top, right? Who's trying to escape it. Listen. This is how evolution sees it. They see everything evolving from one tree. They think plants and fruit and dogs and giraffes and elephants and the walrus and me all come from one thing. We all evolve. One tree. God says he gives each one his own body as he's determined. Here is God's picture. God made several different things and they have variation within its kind. How many see this makes more sense? Right? They have variation within themselves. That's microevolution. We observe that. God makes everything according to the kind. Nothing can mate out of its kind. You can't get a horse and a dog to mate and make a horse dog. Right? There are limitations. They have to be within the same kinds. Horse and a donkey can make a mule, but the mule can't replicate. You find that across. So uh, I'll skip the dog variations. Listen, here's evidence number two. This, these will go really fast. Then I'm done. Rapid deposit with no erosion. There is no erosion between these parts. That is a huge problem. Okay? This is evidence. There should be erosion going from one thing to the next, but we don't find it. Look at Mount St. Helens. This is, look at this. It's already building some of these um, rock layers, you know, within a short amount of time. This is in 10 years. This is a miniature Grand Canyon. In 10 years. That we have forming. That's with just Spirit Lake being overrun by volcanic rock. That's what happens. And you can see those trees are already starting to go straight. And they're going to be buried. And they're going to have multiple layers over them. Just like we're going to see in our actual Grand Canyon. You have all kinds of what they call polystrate fossils. They're, they're fossils like trees that go from one dinosaur era to another era. Really, the tree's 200 million years old? How did that happen? Right? That shouldn't happen. It can't, it can't be fossilized in both. And you see buried dead fish this way. And look at this rapid destruction. Fish eating fish, and they're fossilized. Look at this. This is T-Rex cells that I mentioned before. Live T-Rex cells, blood cells, Tissue. She broke Mary Schweitzer. She broke the bone to fit it in the in the, in the helicopter, and all of a sudden she it stunk. It's sixty-five million years. It shouldn't stink. How, why did it stink? Why did it make a smell? And some people ask me about Neanderthal. Man, well, here's my answer. <laughs> Almost done here. Listen. Listen to this. I want you to really grasp this because all you see in the fossils, you go to the museum and you go, oh, look at our fossils. That's the truth. This is what the real fossil record is. It's not buried in the way that they say it is in their little picture. The real fossil record, 95% of all fossils are marine invertebrates shellfish. Can everyone say 95? Of all fossils. That's right. 95% of the remaining 5% are plants. Okay. That's what you have. 
95% of that rest of the 5% are fish. Okay? So I just talked about most of all the fossils. Fish. Shellfish. That we still have exactly today. The tiny bit of the tiny bit left of the rest are insects. The 1% of the rest are land invertebrates, amphibians, reptiles, mammals, dinosaurs. And by the way, I could have shown you a ton of scriptures. The Bible talks about dinosaurs, cave, supposedly cavemen, which are just old uh, Egyptians and Edomites and who lived in caves, drew pictures of dinosaurs and things that they saw. And you can find those in caves. Why would they draw them if they didn't see them? Okay? And the ones, the, those 1% of those land invertebrates, most of them are just one bone is all they found. And they put together. We have a few full saturated. We have some uh, you know, woolly mammoths, etc. Now listen, the marine invertebrates, all those shellfish that I told you about, all those ocean fossils, they're all found on the continents. They're not found in the ocean. They're not found on the side of the ocean and right near the water. They're found on the continents, most of them in Kansas. This is fact. Okay, there's a few found on Mount Everest and on seas. We have some here. Most of those land invertebrates and marine invertebrates are in Kansas. Listen, evidence number four, look at these trees that are buried across fossil layers. This is, these are strata. You go the Devonian, Carboniferous, all the way through. How does a tree, how do you uncover a tree fossilized in the multiple, in the multiple strata? This is a huge problem. <laughs> Look at, I love this one. This is in 1940. This is the Carboniferous. 300 million years ago, they found a bell. They, they find, listen, I could, have spent, I could have spent two hours here on the things, it's called anomalous fossils. They don't belong here. What is animal? Skulls, footprints, uh, all kinds of things. We find fossils in, on top of Mount Everest and sea creatures. I mentioned that already. Here you can see the sandstone working its way, the coconut sandstone. This is a devastating argument against evolution because the sandstone goes all across the world. What would make that happen besides a worldwide flood? And then here, I'm at the end here, is some of the ancient fossils are still alive. I love the horse evolution picture. It's such a joke. You know what I mean? Now this horse became that horse, became that horse, became our modern horse. You know, and then all of a sudden, you, you know, they did that with catfish and the coelacanth and others and woolly pines and all kinds of plants, and then they find them growing today. Well, you just have to do it in Morgan Freeman's voice, which I can't do. Well, it's a surprising that evolution can sometimes not alter itself at all. Yeah, because it didn't actually work. Listen, you see the coelacant right down there on the right. This is one of their typical fossil trees, how everything became into something. The coelacant became this, became that. Well, let me show you something. See on the left, there's a fossil right there from the Devonian period, 419 million years ago. See that on the right? That's a modern-day coelacant. Isn't that tremendous? It's unchanged by evolution because evolution sometimes makes you stay the same. Right? Right? Seriously, that's what happens. You, you know, look at the dragonfly. The dragonfly is virtually unchanged. The shark is unchanged. You know what I mean? Look at the horseshoe crab. You know, the, these, these shellfish, they're unchanged. They're, you could go to the ocean now and just see all the fossils that they're making all these claims about. Okay? You, you can see it right there, the, the bat, the crayfish, the turtle. There's a Triassic turtle. It looks like a turtle who had a bad day with water. Doesn't it? But, but I'm telling you, they will tell you a story. It's like, you think, if you're an evolutionist, and you think the Bible's full of stories, read your evolution books. They're full of stories. How this became that. Listen, you know the size? How many seen the Velociraptor in, in Jurassic Park? Velociraptor was the size of a chicken. Okay? If you look at the right, there's their picture. The chicken eventually became the Velociraptor. There's the chicken fossil unchanged. In the fossil record, right there, 289 million years ago, uh, of course. There's the catfish. How many have eaten catfish and caught catfish, right? There's one 250 million years ago. I don't think it's 250 million years ago. Listen, I say yay, God. Yay. Amen. You want, you want to look at, let me show you just, these are my last pictures here. Check out the late, the late yay, God. 
Can everyone say design? There's design. Look at the intricacies. These did not evolve and took pretty pictures through survival. I needed a pretty picture on my neck so I could survive. Come on. Grow up. I'm serious. Look at, look at just some of the pictures right there of God's creation. Amazing God's creation. And let me tell you something. He's the same God who created you. Listen, how many know I could have talked for three weeks, four weeks on this every day, every single day? If you are an evolutionist, I encourage you to come up here and present your questions. And if you could present something contrary to the evidence that I showed, I will let you present it. Okay? Can we just praise God? Father, we thank you for your incredible creation. You are the creator of all things. Lord, I did the best I could with the time I had. You know, it was my best effort for the time I had. But I pray, Lord, that you could do so much more with your spirit by touching people's hearts and lives. I pray that there be a growing confidence to explore and search these things. We don't need to hide. We don't have to hide behind the data. We don't have to hide behind the facts. We don't have to avoid evolution books. We can read them all because it's not going to destroy our faith. It's going to build our faith because facts are facts. And Lord, I pray that you, as we get into this concept of sexuality, that people would not be afraid of this. You are good. You have healing and power and deliverance for us in sex. I pray, Lord, that you'd show us what you mean by that next week. Bless each person here, Lord, in Jesus' name. Can I hear an amen?